Why do you think God has you go through hard times? Is it because God doesn't love you? Is it because he's trying to teach you something? Or is it another reason? Hi, I'm Yvonne Pran with Bible 805, where you learn to know, trust, and apply the Bible. In today's lesson, I've got challenging and not always easy answers for you in our lesson entitled, Hosea the Prophet, How God Uses Human Lives as Lessons. Be sure yours is a good one. Now here's where we are in our going through the Bible. Just before Hosea appears, God sent the prophet Amos to condemn the sins of Israel. He preached forceful, harsh sermons for about three years. With Hosea, God gives his people a similar message, but in a very different way, where his overall message is of God's incredible love to his people, no matter how badly they treated him. The book is an excellent rebuttal to those who say that the Old Testament God is one of vengeance and hurtful actions. Now, here's a summary of Hosea. There'll be many more details on the book later on, but overall, here's what happens. Not only did he preach God's love, but Hosea lived it. He was told to marry a woman who would be unfaithful to him. He obeyed God. She ran away. He went after her and brought her back, and he bought her back from the slave market. His love and mercy to her is used as a picture of God's love for Israel and for us. I wanted you to see the overall picture and keep in keep that in mind as we study because Hosea's life is not unusual in that God often uses people to teach his lessons. We've seen that already in our earliest lessons on Genesis and Job, how God used the life of Job as a demonstration to Satan and the hosts of heaven that he, God, could be trusted in the most difficult of circumstances. We saw how the children of Israel were a witness to God's power to their world as God brought them out of Egypt. The pagan inhabitants of the land knew throughout their history that it was God who gave Israel her victories. And he may use you in this way also. Before we get into the lesson, keep this reality in mind. This whole book isn't just about a story far, far away. It's fair to assume that though your life may not have the influence of the characters in the Bible, at the same time, you have an audience watching, both earthly and heavenly, observing, evaluating how you trust God, especially how you will believe in him when things become difficult, and they always will. When the hard times come, remember, an eternal perspective is essential. This life is not all there is. Your best life your greatest joys, your most complete love and fulfillment are coming. And all that happens to you here is preparation and refining for it. When trials and tests happen, you may have an idea why. You may know what you're supposed to learn. Or they may happen for a reason that's known only to God and that you will not understand in this life. And you simply need to trust him to get through them. This is why you must be so careful of many contemporary views of the Christian life that 
really talk about how the Christian life in this world is all happy and wonderful and this, that, and the other, because the Christian life in this world is not a guarantee that all will go well and happy and that you will be free of pain and suffering. Jesus, Paul, and the majority of Christians throughout history verify the reality of godly people enduring great suffering. If we don't understand that, and many do not today, we won't be able to spot the false gospels when they come. And here are some of them that are prevalent in our world today. Here's some false teaching that you need to watch out for so that you won't be disappointed in your life and in your God. First of all, the prosperity gospel. Now, most people today know this isn't true, that it's all false. This is where your financial problems, some preachers promise will fade, especially if you give a lot to their particular ministry. We know that's false. Another one that seems to be gaining in popularity is God is cheerleader, the life coach gospel. This is where, as one author said, sadness, not sin, depression, not depravity is your problem. This is where the gospel is all about you becoming a better you. Lots of hype, loud emotional pep talk style preaching with little biblical content is what's characteristic of this type of false teaching. And then there's the deconstructed gospel. This is where you decide what parts of the Bible and God's teaching have meaning for you, and you decide the truth of it. In reality, it's very much often a pseudo-intellectual approach, as often the people that I've read anyway, and have talked to on this, they really don't know what they're talking about. And then there's the celebrity gospel. This is where the truth of the gospel message is based on the fame of those believing it without a commitment to life change. Now, a classic example of this is the story of Mickey Cohen, who was a gangster a number of years ago. He went to a Billy Graham crusade and he asked Jesus into his life but he didn't change his life at all. Later, when he was challenged about it, he said he knew of, quote, Christian actors and athletes, models, and other famous people who said they were Christian and they lived like they always had. He didn't know why he couldn't continue to be a Christian gangster. We can laugh, but it really isn't funny. As many people think that though they may not be gangsters, they can do whatever they want to do because of teachings out there that include ones whose primary characteristics are teaching that they do not focus on God's word as a whole. This is what all of them have in common. They take bits and pieces of it that are useful. They pick and choose passages if they use, you know, total passages at all. But often they're out of context. They use them to make a point. You see, their point is primary. They want to teach you how to have a better marriage or have a better this or do a better that or whatever. Their point that they want to make is the starting place. And then they just pick passages that support whatever view, whatever point, whatever they want to say. They don't start with scripture. 
and allow scripture to guide their teaching. That is what I pray that I do in Bible 805. I read through the books and read through them and read through them. I study commentaries. I do all kinds of prayer and meditation before I I do the lesson. And I say, Lord, what do you want me to emphasize out of this particular book? That's what's called exegesis, getting out of God's word what we're supposed to teach. In contrast to that is something called eisegesis, which is putting your views on top of scripture. The way I, I you can kind of remember it is exegesis, you take it, it's ex, you know, it's exterior, you take it out of the Bible. And eisegesis, I think of the iso part, it's kind of like it's on slippery ice. It that's really not the way to do it. What all of these false teachings, though, also have in common is a focus on happiness and, ex- and success, according to me, 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 in this world. They ignore the reality of our total depravity and sinfulness before God and the extraordinary undeserved gift of salvation in Jesus, and that upon accepting that gift, Jesus expects us to live as his disciples. That's part of the package. As we're reminded in the Great Commission, where Jesus came to his disciples, one of the last things he said is, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. And a lot of people stop there. They think just go and preaching is all there is to it. But Jesus continued, and he said, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so important, listen to this, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. The expectation that teachers will teach everything Jesus commanded so that we will obey everything commanded has been the expectation from the time of Hosea for God's people, and it hasn't changed today. So let's look at how Hosea went about teaching it. His story begins where He just sort of appears on the scene. We don't know his background. Possibly he was a priest. God told him what to do and what would happen. In Hosea 2, it says, When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Dibliam, and she conceived and bore a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. And it continues, Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call her Laruma. Maha, which means not loved, for I will no longer show love to Israel, that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to Judah, and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses and horsemen, but I, the Lord their God, will save them. After she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, Gomer had another son. Then the Lord said, Call him Lo-Ami, which means not my people, for you are not my people, and I'm not your God. But even as he begins, mercy is promised after judgment. And Hosea goes on to say, yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted in the place where it was said to them, you're not my people. They will be called children of the living God. 
The people of Judah and the people of Israel will come together. They will appoint one leader and will come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. Because God had a covenant with Israel, he had to enforce the punishments. And Hosea reminds them of this in chapter 7 where he says, Because the people have broken my covenant and rebelled against my law, they sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. Judgment would come, though the people were given decades of preaching messages for them to repent. Hosea preached for 60 years. And from an earthly view, he was a failure in many ways. They didn't repent. Now, I'm sure some did. But as a whole, the nation continued their downward slide. And more than his messages, God continued to use Hosea's life to illustrate his love. Through the powerful image of a wronged husband who loves his wife, even though she betrayed him, he continues to love her, go after her. And in this picture of Hosea's life, God is showing his love to the people who have betrayed him again and again. It's both a historical reality, the messages here, and a prophetic picture because Hosea's love extended to the point of buying his wife out of slavery when her lovers discarded her. Not only did this show the depths of his love, but the depths of God's love. Remember, these are people who promised to follow God after all he did again and again. He rescued them in the time of judges. They sinned. They'd be taken captive. They'd be oppressed. He would rescue them. Then they'd promise they'd obey. They would for a little while. Then they'd sin. Then they were judged. This went back and forth for years and years and years. They promised again later on, just before this series of prophets start, to follow God after Elijah defeated the prophets of Baal. But it was also in addition to showing God's mercy and forgiving them again and again and again. Hosea buying back his wife is a picture of the coming Messiah who would buy back fallen humanity from the slave market of sin. And an additional reason for their failures wasn't just their own sinful hearts, but sadly, and this is This is a message and a challenge to all of us who teach and try to guide people in the way the Lord wants them to live. And this is where Hosea says, My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. Because you've rejected knowledge, I've also rejected you as my priests. He's speaking to the teachers. The more priests there were, the more they sinned against me. They exchanged their glorious God for something disgraceful. They feed on the sins of my people. This is so serious and sadly prevalent today. Go back to those false gospels. It isn't people coming up with them. They're hearing them in churches, on television, from false teachers. We have to be so, so careful. Ultimately, though, it's our personal responsibility to take in adequate Bible content today. Church time, the very best church, is so limited. In the very best of situations, you only have a little bit of time each week. I've got many resources for you on Bible 805. I've got videos, podcasts, short social media things. I'm trying to put more and more on them so that you have constant reminders of God's word throughout your day. But most of all, I can't encourage you enough. You must read 
your Bible or listen to it. You can do either one, but you must take in the content of it. And as I'm always reminding you, the best way to do that is chronologically, and Bible 805 can help you with reading plans to do that. Now the book of Hosea continues about midway through the story of the relationship between Gomer and Hosea ends. We don't know what became of them or their children. Now, I would imagine we're going to hear some amazing stories about that in heaven. But until then, the rest of the book is a series of sermons to Israel. Again and again, the theme of God's love and how Israel rejected it to their harm is shown. Israel's reminded of their history where where God is speaking. And he said, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Israel, I called my son. But the more they were called the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the Baals, and they burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms, but they did not realize it was I who healed them. How easily we forget what God does for us, and that he does all for us. Remind yourself, your salvation, the very breath you take, everything that you have and are, it is from him. And because he was their God, they were reminded how to live. Again, Hosea continues, but you must return to your God. Maintain love and justice and wait for your God always. Remember our previous lesson in Amos, the expansive meaning of the term justice and how it involves those less fortunate. Here's a quote from World Vision to remind us. The Bible makes social justice a mandate of faith and a fundamental expression of Christian discipleship. Social justice has its biblical roots in a triune God who time and time again shows his love and compassion for the weak, the vulnerable, the marginalized, the disenfranchised, the disinherited. Along with denying justice to others, people often fall prey to the deceitfulness of wealth. In Hosea 3, it talks about this, where the prophet says, "When I fed, quote, uh, speaking for God, when I fed them, they were satisfied. When they were satisfied, they became proud. Then they forgot me. You've got to be really careful when you have a lot, because it's so easy to forget God. And he goes on to say, your sins have been your downfall. Money, possessions, prosperity are never the source of security they promise to be. Sin never delivers what it promises. In reality, remember Romans 6.23 where it says, the wages of sin is actually death. Hosea, however, as all the prophets do, looks beyond judgment to restoration. And he tells us, in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no no longer call me my master. I will remove the names of the Baals from her lips. No longer will their names be invoked. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness, and you will acknowledge the Lord. I will show love to the one called not my loved one, and I will say to those called not my people, you are my people, and they will say, you are my God. Hosea was talking about us in this passage. Remember, Paul uses this passage to show God's ultimate love and mercy to Israel. 
not only to them, but to the Gentiles as well, where he talks about in Romans 9, where he says, What if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory, even us? whom he also called not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. As he says in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people, and I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one. And in the very place where it was said of them, you are not my people, there they will be called children of the living God. The New Testament also shows how God uses our lives to teach others as he did in Hosea, as he used Hosea in his day. Paul again tells us in 2 Corinthians, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so all Also, our comfort abounds through Christ. If we're distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. As difficult as it is for the person who is a living lesson, people who have suffered have far more credibility than those who haven't in sharing how God helps them. God will use you in difficult ways. Don't be surprised, as it says in 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, think it not strange when you're tried by fire, which is done to prove you, as though some strange thing happened to you. I love, 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 love this the translation in the message. We should all memorize this where it says, Friends, when life gets really difficult, don't jump to the conclusion that God isn't on the job. Instead, be glad that you're in the very thick of what Christ experienced. This is a spiritual refining process with glory just around the corner. Life will often be unjustly hard. Did you hear that? Glory is just around the corner, but life will often be unjustly hard. So what's our response? What will we reflect? Anger, resentment, or trust? Part of the job description of being a representative of our Lord is to trust him and praise him before the world when things are difficult, when they're unjustly hard. Some final applications when we are called to be Hosea. Peter again says, Dear friends, I urge you, it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they're conscious of God. If you suffer for doing good and you endure it, it is commendable before God. To do this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus suffered many things he didn't deserve, and we're called to do the same thing. Remember, in this world, you'll have tribulations, he told us. And I was doing some additional study before the lesson, and the word tribulations in the Greek, one of the meanings is pressure. Pressure. 
Sometimes we think of tribulations as these big, awful things and, you know, having to say we trust Jesus or die for our faith. But for many of us, it's not those big things. It's the little things. It's the pressure where we find it hard to be a believer, to act like a believer of Jesus. And people fall away because of pressure. But he said, we will have that. And yet, he promises to be with us. And Hosea and Job remind us that the trials may not be a result of sin on our part or of unbelief. On the contrary, God may be greatly honoring you and using you as a lesson of trusting him to those around you. It may not get better in this life, but someday it will. Someday, every moment, you trusted and affirmed that he is a good God. No matter what sadness you live in day after day, it will be worth it. Now, one more thing about Hosea. Names are of great importance in the Bible. The name Hosea is an imperative, which means God, save. The book illustrates the need for salvation. And then, in the New Testament, the answer comes in the name of another a variation of the name Hosea, which is Yeshua, Jesus, which means God is salvation. With Jesus as our salvation and with us as his disciples, as his representative, let's remember this little poem that I've shared many times before. You may or may not have heard it, but let me share it with you again because it's so appropriate here. You are writing a gospel a chapter each day by the things that you do and the words that you say. People read what you write, distorted or true. What is the gospel according to you? As Hosea's was, our life is a message. Live it well to the glory of God and for the salvation of those around you. That's all for now. Please check out the show notes and other materials at www.bible805.com. Until next time, I'm Yvonne Pren, your fellow pilgrim, writer, and teacher for Jesus, and I'd like to close with this benediction. May you know the invitation of God to move from confusion to clarity, from wandering to rest, from loneliness to knowing you are loved, from turmoil to peace, from wherever you are, on your spiritual journey, to a growing knowledge of God's Word, and in your personal relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.